0: Brothers and sisters, this afternoon we begin a new sermon series, as I mentioned, and I think a good place to start is to note that the book of Ruth, I think, serves as a fairly good cross section, we might say, or summary of the entire Old Testament, Uh, contrary to the way we sometimes. Uh, are encouraged to think in our day. The Old Testament is an extremely important part of our Bibles. In our day, of course, you can even buy a Bible or have it given to you uh, by a certain, uh, I think, very worthy organization. Um, But you can have a Bible today that includes only the New Testament with the addition, perhaps, of the Psalms. But it really is a detriment overall uh, to us not to have and to read and to seek to understand the message of the Old Testament. Without the message of the Old Testament, we are far more given to misunderstand the message of the New Testament. Uh, Perhaps you've heard this said fairly recently about the book of Revelation. Uh, If you read the book of Revelation, and if you struggle to understand, uh, which of course we all do, uh, then the answer is, well, drop back and first read the Old Testament. I know that's not what most people want to hear, but that really is the answer to understanding particularly the book of Revelation. Because there are so many allusions to the Old Testament In the book of Revelation, that uh, Revelation itself might be called a a cross-section of sorts or a summary of the Old Testament. But what's true of the book of Revelation is really true of the entire New Testament. You need the Old to understand, uh, to to best understand the New. Uh, You need the teaching and prophecy of the Old Testament as a backdrop, we might call it, in order to understand the new. And so, as, as disciples of Christ, because uh, that's who we are, we are lifelong students of God's Word, um, and as so, it would not be a bad idea for each of us to read and study through the Old Testament. Only then will we understand the significance of the coming of Christ. Uh, only with the Hebrew Scriptures as a backdrop will we understand who Christ is, why he came, what is the meaning of his cross. But along with such a study, we might also give a thorough study to the book of Ruth as a kind of cross-section or summary of the Hebrew scriptures in order to learn many of the lessons taught throughout the entire Old Testament. And one way that we might summarize the summary, Uh, one way that we might sum up the book of Ruth is that it teaches us the need for Christ. The book of Ruth teaches us that the people of God need a king, even an eternal king, to save them from their sins. The book of Ruth teaches us that a promised land no matter how glorious, is not yet true salvation for God's people. The book of Ruth teaches us that no mere man can save the people of God. On one hand, the book of Ruth represents a good story. Uh, in fact, it's a great story. And uh, we shouldn't neglect to enjoy the heartwarming love story that the book of Ruth is. But as we enjoy the story, let's also not miss the message. Let's not lose the lesson intended for us by the Holy Spirit. In fact, we might even ask, does this book really have Ruth as the main character? It has that name as its title um, but is Ruth the main character? With Ruth as the main character, it's a love story. But with Naomi as the main character, it's a story to teach us the need, even our own need for Christ. So as a first point this afternoon, the day of the judges, that's the, that's the setting of the book of Ruth. Verse one reads, in the days that the judges ruled there was famine in the land. So let's review the the chronology of the Hebrew scriptures to this point. What's what's interesting is to realize that what uh, that Ruth is really only the eighth book of the of the New Testament, the eighth of thirty-nine books. However, it does Uh, However, it does follow four major narrative books, including Genesis, Exodus, Joshua, and Judges. So the story begins, of course, with Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, leading on then to Noah, from Noah uh, and the flood to Abraham. And along with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Uh, from Jacob came 12 sons, his His favorite, uh, you know, of course, from our recent uh, study in the morning, his favorite was Joseph, whose story fills um, and finishes the closing chapters of Genesis, bringing Jacob and his family into the land of Egypt. And then comes Exodus with the story of Moses, the burning bush, the ten plagues, and the deliverance of Israel from Egypt by the parting of the Red Sea. And then, after many years of traveling and then wandering in the wilderness, finally Israel comes into the promised land by the conquest of the nations. But then, then comes the book of Judges. Overall, the book of Judges tells a sad story. Judges does contain the important and memorable stories of Gideon and and Samson, for example. But overall, uh, it's the story, first of all, of Israel's failure to complete the conquest of Canaan. True to human nature, including our own, the people of Israel grew comfortable and complacent long before they had finished driving out and destroying the nations of Canaan. And so these nations became a snare to them. And what followed was a long, repeated cycle of Israel's unfaithfulness, judgment from God at the hand of their enemies, God raising up a judge to deliver his people from their enemies, followed by a time of faithfulness and blessing, but only leading to another time of unfaithfulness. And so the cycle goes and continues over and over and over again throughout the book of Judges. It's a sad story. But we must not read it as if to see God wringing his hands or even sadly shaking his head in heaven. The point is not to hear God uh, saying to himself, Boy, I... I really had hoped it would work out. Um, I really thought they could do it, that my people would live faithfully uh, in the promised land, enjoying my blessings. No, under the sovereign direction of God, the book of Judges is is a demonstration to the people, including ourselves, a, a demonstration that we are sinners, that we cannot, of our own accord, maintain our place under the blessing of God and neither should we sadly shake our heads at Israel as if we were any different the point is to see ourselves in Israel as uh, as we see Israel so we see ourselves the point is for us to to learn our own sinful nature and our own need for the eternal salvation that only God can supply and that God has supplied through his son, Jesus Christ. So as we, as we begin the book of Ruth, we, we read this opening line, in the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. It really does make sense, therefore, that this book should follow immediately upon the book of Judges. And as we know and remember the book of Judges, we are prepared to hear the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. And by the end of the story, we learn that this story serves as a transition from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. The genealogy that closes the book of Ruth tells us that Ruth was the great-grandmother and Boaz, her husband, the great-grandfather of King David. So Ruth is a transitional book, and therefore a book that teaches us Israel's need for a king. And we might take the time to understand here the difference between a judge and a king. Both positions were positions of leadership, and you may recall that it was not God's will that his people should have a human king because he was their king in his law. God had provided them with the priesthood. And uh, there is a sense in which that should have been enough. The office of priest should have been sufficient. But again, should we read the story as if, uh, as if to see that God made a mistake? that God's plan just didn't pan out the way he had hoped. No, this is all an orchestration. This is all a demonstration from God. Even at the start of 1 Samuel, when the people demanded a king, two things are clear. First, that it was wrong for the people to want a king beyond having God as their king. Second, that it was yet part of God's overall plan. So the judges are, uh, or the judges were a kind of lead in to the kings. Uh, the book of Judges makes it clear that God raised up each of the judges to save his people from his own judgment against them. But no sooner did a judge die, and Israel was right back to their apostasy, once again leaving behind uh, faithfulness to God. That faithfulness that was required for their prolonged possession and blessing within the promised land. Even more, the judges themselves were imperfect and uh, and sinful. And that's, if you know some of the stories, you know how what an understatement that is. The judges themselves were imperfect and sinful. You remember Gideon's Ephod, uh, which became an idol within within Israel. And and you remember Samson, who did great things for God and for Israel, but who was also a man led by his passion so that he married a Canaanite woman. Um, Israel needed more than just a judge, more than just a temporary king. They needed a king who would rule long term and whose sons would sit upon his throne after him in succession. Of course, the kings themselves were imperfect. Even David, the greatest of the kings, was a sinner whose sin brought the judgment of God for a divided kingdom and a perpetual fighting among his sons and his offspring. So hopefully this brief review and and overview helps us to place the story of Ruth within the wider flow of redemptive history it would, uh, it would be helpful if you uh, even went back and read the book of Judges on your own this coming week. Uh, it, would, uh, it would only take you an hour or so uh, if you decided to do it. Uh, then we would better understand the setting of Ruth making clear in the opening, uh, or, or the, the setting of Ruth made clear in the opening line in the days when the Judges ruled. There was famine in the land. And so there's our second point, uh, famine in the land. With the book uh, of Judges as as the backdrop, uh, the point of hearing of the famine is to hear once again of God's judgment against his people. You will recall that when Israel came into the promised land, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a fertile land. It was a land to be desired. Uh, It was a land to be enjoyed. But now it was a dry and desolate land. It was a land in which the milk and honey had dried up. Uh, And uh, surely with this reference to the judges, we are given to understand that God was judging his people once again for their sin. And there was need again for another judge only this time, instead of raising up another judge, we began to hear the story of the coming of the kings. And so the rest of verse 1 reads, and, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. With this reference to Bethlehem, the lights go on for us, do they not? Uh, This isn't the first reference to Bethlehem in the Old Testament, but with this reference in particular, we are reminded that Bethlehem was the city of David. As I said, we are hearing the story of David's great grandparents. We are just a few generations now prior to the birth of the great King David. But even more, surely this reference to Bethlehem reminds us of Jesus, as it must. Uh, David's, Jesus, David's greater son, as we say. So not only are we hearing of the transition from the judges to the kings, we are also hearing the ongoing story of the line of Christ from Genesis through Genesis. Malachi. It's interesting that the the text doesn't tell us specifically that it was wrong for Elimelech to take his family into the land of Moab. There are other times in the Hebrew Scriptures when we hear God warning his people not to depart from the promised land, but instead to repent and and stay in the land where God intended to bless them. But we also know that God called and led Jacob and his family down to Egypt during the famine. We're looking at that, obviously, in our Genesis series right now. So the point here is not necessarily to blame Elimelech and uh, find fault with him for taking his family and going to live in Moab. And yet, we shouldn't miss the point that this was a sign that something was terribly wrong. Why should this man of Israel need to do this? Why should he need to leave a land flowing with milk and honey in order to find food that he might survive? The answer, of course, is that there was a famine in the land. But why was there a famine? Famine, where was the blessing of God upon his people? And the answer here is that once again, his people had sinned. Even more, further sin would follow. What happens when you take your children and go live among unbelievers? We saw this with Judah. Not that he took his family with him, but he himself departed and uh, raised up a family among an unbelieving community. Well, here we have a man who takes his family and, uh, and takes up community and residence among unbelievers. Well, what happens is that they end up marrying unbelievers. After giving us the names of Elimelech's wife and sons, verse 4 tells us that upon their father's death, the sons of Elimelech took Moabite wives and we even are given their names the name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth and at least two things are happening here first we are seeing the problem with Elimelech's decision to leave the promised land no we are not told outright that it was wrong for him to go and live in Moab But now the problem of Israel's failure to drive out and destroy the nations of Canaan was accentuated. Now Elimelech's sons were living every day among the unbelieving, pleasantly looking, I'm sure, young ladies of Moab. And what happened was exactly what we would expect. They took wives from the Moabites. But the second thing to see is that this happened after the death of Elimelech. Here again is the problem with the judges. Of course, Elimelech we wouldn't see as a judge of all God's people, but he was a judge, so to speak, of his family. Uh, As all husbands and fathers, he was called by God to rule over his family and he may have thought to himself, uh, it will be all right if we live in Moab because I'll continue to teach my children the truth. The truth. I'll stay close to my sons and I'll warn them to keep their passions in check and until we can get back to our own land and to our own people. What he didn't count on was that he would die. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 12 says, For man does not know his time. And so it was true of Elimelech. He did not know his time. And fathers and brothers, it's true of us too. And that's why we must keep our children close to the church, close to God's people in Christ. And that's why we must, as soon as possible, work to transfer our children's love from us to Christ our goal must always be that our children will know Christ better than they know us. That our children will love Christ even more than they love us. Because we are going to die. Christ alone can save uh, our children and we must lead them to him that our children would be and stay forever under his care, even after we die, which may even be tomorrow. Finally then, <clears throat> dead men talking. Clever third point, I think. Dead men talking. Not only is there an emphasis on famine in the uh, open opening verses of Ruth, there is also an emphasis on death. I think we can hear it. Verse 3 again says, "But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi died, and she was left with her two sons." And then two verses later in verse 5, we are told that both Malon and Chilion died, the two sons of Naomi. And in the end, the the, the end of the beginning that is uh, uh in the end Naomi is left beaten and grieved and ready to return to the promised land. And isn't that all too often the way it works? Again, we we aren't told that it was wrong for Naomi to prolong her stay in Moab after her husband died. We aren't told how much time passed between Elimelech's death and the deaths of her two sons. But it would seem to be the case that it took the death of her husband... And then the death of her two sons before Naomi, in some sense, woke up. Only then did she rise to return to Israel from the land of Moab. So the setting of the book of Ruth is death. So much so, in fact, that when Ruth arrived back home again, um, she said to her, I'm sorry, when Naomi arrived back home again, she said to her own people, Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I'm getting ahead of the story and uh, bringing in things that are not from our text for today, but... What is, clear, what is clear from our text is the theme of death. The death of Elimelech was the reason uh, he could not be Naomi's savior. Uh, the death of her sons as well kept them from giving her offspring that uh, would bring joy to her life and carry on uh, her heritage into the future. The, the theme of death in scripture is, is certainly not limited to any particular passage but there is a there is a certain emphasis here that we shouldn't miss and 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 we need to ask about ourselves what about what about you fathers what about you mothers what about you young people and and children the world would have us make peace with death whether by denial or by distraction or by redefinition that the temptation is to belittle death, to make to make very little of it, and to go merrily on our way until the day that we die. But God's word calls us to admit, as Naomi did, the bitterness of death. And as we see the death of Naomi's husband and sons, there is a sense in which they are speaking to us. They are dead men talking calling us not to make peace with death but to recognize and admit that death proves our need for a savior our need for Christ because while we must not make peace with death neither should we despair we have the husband that Naomi did not have In Christ, we have the hope that Naomi had come to despair of. We have an eternal king who is both God and man and who judges us and saves us even yet today by his blood and righteousness. Nobody, of course, wants to dwell on death. But the lesson to learn here at the start of the book of Ruth is that we too will die so that we too are not qualified to be the Savior that our spouses need, that our children need, that we need for ourselves. The book of Ruth is a transition from the judges to the kings. But both the judges and the kings show us the need for the Christ who was to come, we need more than a land flowing with milk and honey, because a land flowing with milk and honey will not bring us eternal life. And even that temporary blessing is, well, temporary. Israel could not maintain their place in the promised land, and we cannot maintain our place under the blessing of God, we need Christ. We need Christ because all other saviors will die. All other salvations will fall short of eternity. We need Christ. Beyond, because beyond the famine that may come in our day, we need the bread of life. We need the living water that only Christ can provide. Granted, the story gets better, much better from here, but the story begins with famine, and it begins with human weakness, and it begins with death. And even as the story gets better, it gets better as a prefiguration, as a foreshadowing of that greater and eternal salvation that God was bringing to bestow upon us in Jesus Christ. So this afternoon, I would... Have us see by the teaching of God's word that we cannot save each other and we cannot save ourselves. The best love story in the world must pale in comparison to the story of God's love for us in Christ. He is the husband who can redeem us. He is the son who can save us. Let us not look to anyone else for salvation than to Christ our eternal King and our Savior forever amen let's pray we do thank you oh God for the wonderful stories of your word and for this particular one of, uh, of Ruth and Naomi uh, who is the main character here Between those two ladies, surely one or the other, uh, but ultimately the main character is Christ. May we see him as we continue through uh, this portion of your word. Bless us in this study and uh, show us Christ all the more clearly each and every time. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.